Well, today's show was one of the most interesting that I have had the opportunity to bring to you, my fellow beauty biz lovers. So I am spending some time today with James Sun. He has done a TED Talk. He has been on the show, The Apprentice. I think he mentioned that he was a runner-up to win the show. So we talked a little bit about that. And then he talked about how he got into the beauty industry. And he will tell you he is a data freak. And some of the data surrounding our industry that he shares on this show is so interesting. I know you're going to love it. He has all these data points that he shared, even one that talks about nanoparticles that will be available in our skincare that can be changed by a smartphone. So you can change your makeup from uh, daytime to cocktail hour through your smartphone. I know you're going to love this show. It's about ingredients. It's about data. It's about global trends in the beauty industry. And I'm going to stop chatting now so you can tune in and enjoy. and welcome to the Beauty Biz Show. I'm your host, Lori Crete. I'm a licensed esthetician, spa owner, industry consultant, speaker, and journalist, and the founder of the Beauty Biz Club, which is the only professional success-based society designed to dramatically up your bookings, increase your profits, and provide you with industry-specific resources that are needed to succeed. If you'd like to know more about how you can become a member of the Beauty Biz Club, please visit beautybizclub.com. Now I invite you to join me as I feature inspirational messages from industry gurus and practical tips to tap into your best success. Stay tuned for some serious Beauty Biz entertainment. everybody and welcome to the beauty biz show i'm your host Lori Cree, and today i'm here with james sun how are you james uh doing very good always good to be in new york city i uh, love this city so thank you for having me on that show of course i know you said you had a bunch of meetings so thank you for being here and are you in the deep freeze right now um no it's actually uh, pretty warm today <laughs> um it's sunny and nice okay so you got lucky because i know they were freezing there last week yeah, I heard about that. I think I just missed it. Let me ask you, what is your favorite thing to do in New York City? You know, I think it always comes down to uh, shopping and food here. <laughs> it's always so vibrant just walking around. And I find that the food that they have is so diverse and it's so good. I mean, I think the New York City citizens require the best of the best to be in business. So you just got to be that good. I agree with you. I used to be a flight attendant and I would fly to New York just for Italian food. <laughs> Good stuff. So I've been doing a little research on who you are and what you're all about. And I have come to the conclusion, if I could talk to your mother, she would probably agree with me that you were born, you came out of the womb as an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, I started pretty young. I've always been curious about uh, products and what made people buy things. Um, I was. I started my first company when I was thirteen. So yeah, I've 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 been uh, in that space for a while, I guess. What company did you start at thirteen years old? Um, it was actually a pretty uh, analog company. Um, it was uh, window cleaning, uh, outsourcing, sales service. So I saw a bunch of people trying to sell window cleaning services to single moms 
or single, uh, you know, and the women was at, women were at home by themselves. And then I saw these guys dress up to them. And I thought, wow, that's not a very uh, good experience. So I thought, well, if you hire a bunch of uh, junior high and high school kids selling window window cleaning services, they would be more receptive. And so we ended up doing that, and we had about 300 neighborhood kids selling window cleaning services. Oh, my goodness. Now, did you make that business sellable? <laughs> you... I don't think it was uh, quite exitable. Um, it was really <laughs> driven by my personality and my friendships, and, and I don't think you could pull it off now because of, like, child labor laws, but back then it was okay. So your TED Talk that I watched on YouTube was very moving to me. You grew up in Houston, uh, yeah, I did. Sometimes I feel like, and you can tell me if you agree with me or not, the kids that are kind of picked on, and, and I don't know if you want to call it ridiculed, but that to me kind of feels like what it is, they end up being the best business owners. Yeah, I think what it is is sometimes, um, you know, when I grew up in Texas, there weren't very many Asian Americans or Asians. And in fact, I saw one my whole seven years in Texas. Uh, now there's it's uh, Texas is very diverse. Houston is diverse, but I lived in a kind of a more of a rural area off Houston, and we got uh, ridiculed quite a bit. And I think it left a chip on my shoulder to say I can't change the the color of my race, but I could surely change my social economic status even as a kid. And so I think that spurred me into starting businesses early. Were you raised by a single mom? I was not. Um, I was actually raised by a single dad for three years. When we first immigrated here, my mother had immigration issues. So my father had to care for myself and my sister. And then three years later, my mother was able to come into the country. And so uh, when I first saw her, I didn't even recognize who she was. Wow. She was broken. But um, yeah, we definitely have the immigrant story. Now, people want to probably since I brought it up, they're going to want to know a little bit about your TED talk. How did you, how did you get, because I think that's a lot of people's dreams. Oh my gosh, I would love to stand on that stage. Will you tell me a little bit about what led you there and, and maybe just a, a few sentences so that the listeners know what the TED talk was about? Sure. Um, I have, because of the way I grew up uh, facing a lot of racism, um, I, I, I'm very passionate about this topic of diversity and globalization in the world. Globalization can be uh, uh, could be definitely a argumentative topic, but in terms of diversity, I don't think anyone in the world would say diversity is a bad thing, and especially in a melting pot country like ours in the U.S., um, I really believe in it. So I've done over 300 speeches on diversity itself because I'm super passionate about it. I was actually... Um, uh, in 2007, that was almost 10 years ago, or almost, more than 10 years ago, I tried out for a show called The Apprentice uh, with Donald Trump, uh, now who's the president. And I remember going through the casting call, and uh, I'm not sure if you're listeners or if you know how it works, but about 800,000 people applied during my season. And The Apprentice was a business show where it take, it's a reality show where you take 18 candidates and every week Donald Trump fires somebody and then there's one person remaining at the end. And so I tried out because I never saw enough Asian people on TV and I thought this could be a good way to uh, show that Asians are not the stereotype where we're just quiet, we just sit in the background and we could really show a little bit of our culture on mass media. So I tried out and I remember the last day of the tryouts, 
a producer from NBC and uh, Brad Studios asked me, so why should you be on the show And of all the great candidates? And at the time, I said simply, you know, I have a question for you. I've noticed that you've done six seasons or five seasons of The Apprentice, and you've never had an Asian male on the show. Why is that? And the room got super quiet. And it was probably not the best question to ask if you're trying to get on the show. But see, this is a chip that I have a bit growing up facing a lot of racism where I wanted to approach this topic head on. And the producer actually tipped his hat and said, you want to know the truth or do you want to hear the just the right answer? I said, I want to know the truth. And he said, well, to be very frank, Asian men don't make for good television in the U.S. Nobody wants to watch you. And so I was like, wow, this is 2007, not, you know, 1977. And that's when I realized it still pervades in our society and that it's a topic that I want to be able to make a dent in the world, a small dent in the world. And so I'm very passionate about the topic of diversity. Well, you speaking your truth from a place of passion sealed the deal for you to get on that show, it sounds like. Somehow I got on the show and um, I got all the way to the end until Donald Trump at the end on a live show decided to hire someone else than me. So it was an interesting experience. Oh my goodness. Is it brutal behind the scenes, like what you guys have to go through? Or did you have more more fun or more stress? What did it bring into your life? I, well, I would tell you this. Um, you know, I, I was never able to talk about these things because you're under a legal contract for five years under an NDA. But after the show, I actually had post-traumatic syndrome um, because on the show, each week they give you a task, a business task. And the week is a week on the show for the life for the audience when they're watching it. But in reality, it's two and a half days of filming. And so in two and a half days, you're asked to accomplish a, a project that's impossible to do in two and a half days. And so they purposely give you tasks that are impossible where you have to stay up pretty much all night. Now, you can imagine week one, okay, you can handle a couple nights of not sleeping. But by the time that I was in week nine of filming, because it's 13 weeks on the episode-wise, so I was there filming nine weeks. You could imagine how tired you would get. And I remember coming home and I would actually go to the closet. I would wake up and curled up in a closet sleeping because I was trying to hide sleeping because if you were sleeping on the show, the cameras would roll and make it look like you were sleeping on the job. <laughs> a big, a big loof on the show. Yeah. You know, I remember, I think it was Bethany Frankel that talked about her experience. It wasn't Trump that was doing it then, but she said something very similar. Like it is a stressful time. Everybody's dying for that spot on TV, but you really don't know what you're signing up for. Yeah. It, it was probably the most difficult thing I've ever been in my life. Wow. Well, I, I want to know, and the reason that you are here with me today is because you're, you're really doing something pretty cool in the beauty industry, but I want to know where the path took you that actually led you. I think it was, you were in San Fran. Were you in an IT type environment there? Yeah. So my background is um, basically in computer science and technology. And I started my career at Intel as an engineer. And then I went to Deloitte um, as a management consultant. And that's where I fell in love with consumer services and also consumer data. I'm an extreme data freak. 
I love data, especially consumer behavior data. And what I realized about um, being in that in that industry is it taught me the discipline of under understanding uh, correlation and also cause and effect and using algorithms to figure out cause and effect. And so if you think about the beauty industry, I look at it as um, something that I'm personally passionate about. When I was 11 years old, I started using orange peels on my face because I thought the acid from orange peels and the vitamin C, the inside of the orange peels, would offset the oil on the bait as a base on my face. So I started very early playing with these formulas. And for whatever reason, I was really into skincare. I think there are some influence from my mother on that because she has impeccable skin. But being in the IT business and now being in the world of beauty, I'm leveraging data as a way of coming up with unique formulas. I love so that. That's how I fell in love with beauty is the passion of what I loved as a kid, plus my experience as a computer science uh, trained individual to apply those to making formulas. Well, let's tell the listeners what your, maybe the name of the, the business that you're now involved in and a little bit about it. Sure. Um, I have a company uh, called Beauty Tap, and uh, it's, uh, it's basically based on tapping into your inner beauty. Uh, we come from the philosophy that when you take care of your skin, when you take care of your outer beauty, that means you really care and respect your inner beauty and allowing that to come out. So it's kind of tap into your inner beauty is kind of the theme for Beauty Tap. And we started out as a content site. And so we focus around Asian beauty, specifically Korean beauty. I'm sure a lot of people have heard the 10 step skincare routine from Korea. A lot of people ask me, so James, why is Korea such a hotbed for beauty? And it's because there's more beauty clinics and spas and beauty stores per capita than anywhere in the world. So you have to be that good to just compete to at the level of what the consumer expectations are. And then the technology and the ingredients are so good from Korea. In fact, L'Oreal makes a lot of their products now in Korea. A lot of the uh, makeup companies, even in the U.S., are now manufacturing in Korea. And so we started out as a content site so people could be educated and learn about Asian beauty rituals and why they were mature, how it was different than Western mutual uh, rituals for beauty. And then we added some e-commerce to it really to get some data points. We wanted our users to talk about different products and understand what they liked about certain ingredients, which ones they didn't, and really try to understand the gaps in the market. So we added about 6,000 SKUs onto the site. Can you share something with the listeners, like maybe a, a data point that surprised you surrounding some trend in the beauty industry? Sure. Like one of the things that we saw was there was a pendulum swing from going to as many levels of skincare in your regimen. So, you know, the typical person in the U.S. started with really a cleanser and a moisturizer. And then some were educated and sophisticated enough to add like a serum in there. And then what happened was 
we continue to add new SKUs to the regiment, and especially the influence from Korea came the 10-step routine, and there are some people that even use a 20-step routine every day. And so there was a pendulum shift to massive numbers of, uh, of steps in your routine, and then over the last year, we saw it coming back where now people want to simplify so it's very interesting to watch kind of these patterns. Oh my gosh, I love this because I'm not a data girl, but I like learning from people like you that are driven by it. Um, something that you said, and I found this to be so interesting because I think it applies to everything in life. Let's let's be honest with each other. Stepping into a beauty market is a very saturated market, right? And you did this and you said nothing grows unless you do a version 2.0. And I love that. So tell me, tell the listeners what you mean by that. Like, what is a version 2.0 when it applies to anything, but specifically, I guess, um, how you applied it in your beauty website and, and creating a community? Yeah, so I, I really do believe that you have to um, launch a product or launch a service and get feedback from your community and then iterate that into a 2.0 version that is more perfected. I think that a lot of people try to perfect the formula or perfect the website or perfect the car before they get enough feedback. And they're making decisions out of a boardroom rather than listening to their users, customers, and community. And so I really do believe in the philosophy of launch fast, get feedback from your community and your users, learn quickly, and then iterate to 2.0. I love that. Market research is so powerful and people don't tap into that tool enough. Right, for sure. Um, I also have some information here. I was researching before we got on the call today that you said, and this may be old, so I don't know. You're the, you're the data guy, so I can't wait to hear it. But the Middle East may prove to be an exciting market. Some of your customers that are purchasing between $2,000 and $3,000 worth of products. Are they still the leading purchasers on your site? Um, I would say that right now, from a volume standpoint, the USA is the number one buyer of our goods. But it's also because we target that group. Now, outside of the markets that we target... The surprise markets um, are definitely the following. Um, it's India, the Middle East, and Latin America. Those are the surprise markets that we never even advertise to or target, but they are buying a lot of K-beauty. And they do buy a large amount per order because they know that they can't get this in their country, and so they want a large number of items in their order basket when they do make that purchase. Now, this is interesting because all three of those are a higher Fitzpatrick, like olive pigment type skin tone, mostly speaking. And I know that the the Asian and the Korean market used to be a lot about skin lightening. Is that still something that they're hyper-focused on? And do you think that's why this market's so drawn or these trending markets? Yeah, so there is, um, there was and is the aspect of uh, a lot of Northeast Asians, uh, not Southeast, but Northeast Asians, primarily in China, Korea, and Japan, 
that really value the lighter skin and the skin brightening and the lightening. But that trend really dissipated as Asian beauty went beyond Northeast Asia and it went to Southeast Asia. And as you know, Southeast Asians like in Philippines, Indonesia, they're much darker in pigment and skin tone. And so the industry really, uh, by, uh, by the nature of trying to get more market share, applied the technologies and ingredients to cater towards a wider group than just trying to do lightning in Northeast Asia. So if you have, right now you said you have 6,000 SKUs on your website. Right. Is there something that's by far a bestseller or a specific uh, maybe segment of beauty products that are bestsellers? Yeah, I would say um, a, a lot of the bestsellers really go down in the three categories are cleansers um, and then uh, serums and then moisturizers. Those three tend to be kind of the bestseller in terms of the categories. So there's not a specific ingredient in a product that people, and I'm kind of segueing into your exciting announcement that I can't wait to hear about. Is there a specific ingredient that people are longing for or maybe that's trending right now? Yeah, there is. Um, there has been for probably the last year um, is vitamin C and other antioxidants. Uh, there seems to be a very large search for antioxidants uh, for to really, and it's interesting, a lot of people think about antioxidants as only anti-aging for people that are older. But what's very interesting is millennials and young 20s even late teens are looking for antioxidants because they're educated on these ingredients to help prevent the uh, aging from pollutants and also from uh, just the the bad air out there and the pollution that we're experiencing in the world. They're, they're very keen on that. So they're looking for antioxidants to actually combat that. Well, so does that lead into, I know you just had a big press release and I want to hear about this product or this ampule that I was reading about the other day. Can you fill me in? Yeah. So we saw, once again, I'm a data freak. And so we saw that there's this huge trend and it's not even only on our site. It's happening on Amazon. It's happening on Google. People are looking for antioxidants, ingredients that are driving topical skincare. And so what our team did was we, we knew that there's two trends, antioxidant skincare or ingredients in skincare, and they're looking for less. Instead, they, they're, they don't want 10 steps, but they want fewer steps. So our goal was to create a single serum that had a very potent antioxidant to launch with and bring this to the market with science-backed efficacy. And so we actually analyzed 800 different antioxidant compounds in the world, and we discovered one that the market was not using. And as I mentioned to you earlier, a lot of people have been searching and buying vitamin C as an antioxidant. But I found an antioxidant that was 6,000 times more potent as an antioxidant than vitamin C. And for you and your listeners, it's called astaxanthin. Will you spell it? A-S-T-A-X-A-N-T. 
T-H-I-N. Astaxanthin comes from red algae. And it's actually funny because a lot of people don't know this, but the pink flamingo is pink because she or he eats a lot of astaxanthin and it gives that pink flamingo the pink color and a natural UV protection and the best uh, feathers, the most beautiful outer feathers because this pink flamingo eats a lot of astaxanthin. And so it's a very interesting ingredient that is very well understood in the science community. But the problem is this. Astaxanthin is a compound that is very sensitive to both light and heat, and it oxidizes very easily. So what we had to do was figure out a way to dissolve the astaxanthin uh, at the nano level to keep it in its original particles in stable form while maintaining other uh, ingredients inside the topical formula. And this is extremely hard to do because this ingredient is extremely volatile and sensitive. And so we had to create a technology, uh, an emulsifying technology that helps compounds mix together while maintaining the astaxanthin nanoparticles in a stable state, protecting it from both light and heat, which required us to use some other ingredients like what's called rhizophoral mangle callus culture extract. We use a stem cell version of that to help and also offset the astaxanthin from going into a negative form. And we also use ingredients like ferulic acid that also keeps it stable, helps the astaxanthin to stay in its natural form. So you can imagine now when you add one ingredient, okay, that's already, you know, pretty, that's pretty simple to do. But when you add two, three, four, 15, 20, and you continue to add ingredients, you can imagine how many tests that you have to do and simulate, simulate this into a computer program and do the R&D behind it. And that's what we did for this new line. This new line is called the Afterglow Ampule. And um, the name of the uh, uh, brand is AZN Labs. A-Z is in zebra, N is in Nancy, AZN Labs. Is this on your website, the K-Beauty website or Beauty Tap website? Yeah, it's on its own website because it's a separate brand. So it's just aznlabs.com is its own where people can find more information about it. We will be carrying it um, in our beauty website as well, but we're not selling it until February 21st. So right now you can make pre-orders, but what's kind of exciting is, and I'll kind of tell you and your listeners this, um, but we're making a big announcement on February 21st our ASEAN Labs Afterglow Ampule is launching at the Oscars as um, a really a unique new formula uh, for the celebrities. Awesome. So you got them in the, in the gift bags that they get to take home? That's right. So they, they've offered this. And in the history of the Oscars, they've never offered a pre-launch brand. But this got in the hold of the, um, the gifting editors through some of the editors that have been trying this. So we actually sent this out to editors and skincare experts for about a month and a half. 
And somehow the word got out to that group and they contacted us. I love that because usually you have to hunt them down to get your product featured in those gift bags. I lived in LA for a long time. I know how difficult it is to get in that type of environment. I do want to ask you if somebody, what can they expect to see? What kind of results is this antioxidant providing for the skin? Yeah. So what happens is um, even after the first use, your skin looks and feels softer, more supple, more nourished, and and you'll have like a dewy luster to your, your face. And then after about a week, that signature uh, rosy glow that people want in their cheeks, it comes up and it starts lighting up your complexion from within. And then over time, collagen production increases with the antioxidants, which smooths away the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. And then your dark spots will start fading and sensitivity decreases. So your tone will actually even out. And basically the antioxidants are defending you from UV and radical damage from all the pollutants out there. I'm in Palm Springs now. It sounds like every single face I touch needs this. Is it an actual product line where you have a little bit of the um, red algae ingredient in, in a cleanser and a moisturizer, or is it just specifically the ampule at this point? You know, um, at this point, it's just the ampule. And our other data tells us this. Consumers are going away from 10 products in one brand. They're using multi-brands in their routine. They're not going after those sets anymore from one brand. Think about it. Consumers are smart. How could you be good at pizza, burgers, and Korean food? You can't. And so consumers are really gravitating towards brands that focus on a specific area. And so we're really focused on providing this serum as their serum, uh, their daily serum, uh, and pretty much um, uh, uh, very focused on that messaging. Is it something you are going to wholesale at this point? My listeners are going to want to know this as well, or is it just a retail product purchase right now? Yeah, so we absolutely want to uh, do wholesale in the retail, but we're looking for very specific partners. It's, it's in the luxury category. Uh, that's why we're in the Oscars. We're doing fashion shows. Um, we want to be in balls. We want to be in hotels. We want to be in very high-end retail. We are not a target or a mass market uh, product, and we never will be. That's not our goal. And so definitely um, are open to doing wholesale to the retailers that cater towards a higher-end sophisticated and more of a service uh, oriented market. I love that. What is the price point retail? It retails at $120. Okay. You know what? That's doable for most clients, at least in my market in LA. And I know I have hundreds and hundreds of practitioners and I have a beauty biz club. It's an online business academy for estheticians. And that's a, that's a fair price point. It's sellable for sure. Yeah. Once again, my data point, uh, we, we used a algorithm to figure out pricing based on all the prices of the serums out there in the market. And there's really kind of the under 50 and they're not very high quality. And then there's like the 150, 160 that are much higher quality and, uh, but they're expensive all the way to the 200, 240 mark. But what we found is that you want to be above the hundred, uh, to showcase that you're in that category. But since we want it to be luxury affordable, we price it below the 160, 180 mark. 
Awesome. I love all your data that you're sharing with me. Um, is there anything else that you think that my listeners as practitioners in the beauty industry need to know based on data or any of your other research or product offerings? Because this stuff, they're going to eat it up. They're going to love it. Yeah, I think one uh, other data point that I'll give your, especially your listeners, because I travel around the world. I'm on a plane every week and I see beauty trends from Hong Kong to New York to London to Paris. And one of the things that I'm seeing in spas and retail, high-end retail shops that are service-oriented, I'm seeing this aspect of carrying multi-brands that are very specific, not generic. So very specific brands that do a very specific thing and carrying multi-brands rather than uh, just a big set. It used to be you go to the spa and they'll carry like two or three brands and carry 10 or 20 SKUs from each one and try to say this is kind of the brand that you want and it's a set. But I'm seeing now that change quite a bit to multi-brand, single SKU, very focused stories for their merchandising. Oh, that's interesting. I never would have guessed that. Some of my clients are so, they want everything to look the same in their medicine cabinet. So it's interesting that this is a trend that's happening. Yeah, and it's really, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, it's happening because of Instagram. When you watch Instagram, all the YouTubers and influencers and people that post, look at the photos. You'll never see five or 10 SKUs from one brand unless it's a gift set. Whenever they take a picture of their beauty hall or their cabinet or all the items, they're all different brands. Yeah, you're right. Wow. You've brought a bunch of new awarenesses into my mind today, and I so appreciate it. As we wind down the show, because I know you're in New York City and you're probably going to want to go get a fabulous lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any success tips that you'd give a beauty entrepreneur right now? I think every beauty entrepreneur is in the right space right now. The amount of technology that is impacting the beauty industry, both from a formula standpoint and also a consumption standpoint because of online and mobile, it's a really great time to be in beauty. And the success tip that I would say is don't be surprised how much technology will change beauty and be open to technology changing beauty. One day we're going to see people put on functional skincare that actually has different colors of makeup or tone that happens just by uh, changing something on their smartphone. Oh, wow. We're talking about nanoparticles that are very smart and that people are going to be adjusting the color before they go to the nightclub, to the, from the dinner to the nightclub without ever having to change their application of makeup. It's going to be a very exciting industry. And I think people in beauty need to just be very receptive to technology. Oh my goodness. Have you actually seen this nanoparticle shifting smartphone thing? Or is it just something that's right now in the design phase? It's in R&Ds that I've seen. And I'm working with some of the most cutting edge labs. And some very interesting things will be coming out over the next two to five years. Wow. Okay. So people are going to want to follow you. Do you have an Instagram account? You know what? Um, it's crazy, but I actually have an Instagram just through our two companies at Beauty Tap and at uh, AZN Labs. And I don't personally do uh, social media. Um, I believe it or not, I'm actually a very private person. 
Um, and, and, and I, I just go through my companies on that. Well, you know what? Beauty tap and then spell it again. A Z N is in Nancy. So A Z is in zebra N is in Nancy labs. That's our Instagram. It's at Asian labs. Perfect. And then also I know they're going to want to watch your Ted talk. So can you tell them maybe just spell your name out go ahead on YouTube and they can check it out? Yeah, if you Google me, you can find me um, I'm all my talks. Uh, my name is James, and Sun is my last name, S-U-N, uh, like the sun in the sky. And, um, yeah, if you Google it and put TED Talk, you'll find it right away. Awesome. Well, I loved my conversation with you today. I know the listeners are going to love it. Is there anything else you want to share before we say goodbye? I think the last thing is uh, just I really appreciate, Lori, what you do, um, and I appreciate – um, everyone that gives a voice to the reason of why we exist. And at the end of the day, for us, I'm trying to bring more awareness of Asian beauty trends to the rest of the world. Because if people use Asian beauty products or they eat Chinese food, for example, they can't say, I don't like Chinese people. If we promote diversity of the products we use and we appreciate it, then that means we're kind of appreciating each other's culture more. And that's kind of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh, gosh, I love that. It's a powerful statement. And the world needs more people like you who open our mind to new awarenesses. So I want to thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to try the new product line. I'm going to go order some and go have a slice of pizza pizza for me if you don't mind (laughs) (laughs) in New York. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for your time as well. Okay, thanks, James. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Beauty Biz Show. I hope this episode leaves you feeling inspired to build the beauty biz of your dreams. If you'd like to know more about how you can become a member of the Beauty Biz Club, the only professional success-based society designed to fuel your success by providing you with the ongoing resources that are needed to excel in the beauty industry, please visit beautybizclub.com. Again, that's beautybiz club.com. Also, if you'd like a copy of my free report, top 10 secrets of successful beauty biz practitioners, please visit lorikrete.com. 